Thanks for tuning in to the Lake Forest Church Podcast. Lake Forest is a community for people who have given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our churches in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Good morning, everyone. My name's Aaron. Let me add my welcome to Angela's, and uh, I just think we should have her do the welcome every week. I just... That was like the best part of my morning right there. That was, yeah, Angela, if you are here, I hope you can hear us. Uh, I just love the Sweeney's heart. She's fantastic. Well, um, we're going to continue in our series today called Follow Me. Before we do that, I, I want to just uh, add my welcome specifically to family members, uh, maybe friends or uh, neighbors or teammates of those who are being baptized or confirmed today. Uh, we did a whole batch in the last service and man, it was just awesome, and I'm really looking forward. We're going to be doing that as part of this service today as well, uh, so hang tight for that. And if you're here visiting as part of that, we are so glad you're here for this special day uh, in that person's life. And uh, uh, if you are here, and maybe this is your first time you wandered in, and you don't know what's going on, don't worry. We don't know either, but we'll get through it together uh, and have a lot of fun. You know, before we continue, uh, I just didn't I didn't quite have words for this. I didn't write anything out about this, but it didn't feel right to to race past uh, without acknowledging the events of this week. And so I just want to pause. Uh, You know, Brent Campbell, who uh, speaks here uh, often, and he is one of our sponsored missionaries. Many of you will know Brent. Brent leads the InterVarsity ministry at UNCC. And I remember when I got word of the um, shooting, I I was just in shock. I mean, I didn't know what to say. And I remember texting Brent and just saying, hey, are you okay? Are your, are your people okay? What, you know, what's going on? And just sort of in dismay. And I was thinking my daughter uh, turned 18 on Wednesday and she'll start college this coming September. And I, I just can't think of anything more horrific for, for a mother or father than those moments, right? It, it, my daughter, my son, or maybe your brother, or your sister or cousin or a friend. Because so many of you know people or have people, loved ones who, who are students or employees there. And so, um, gosh, there, there's so much more that we could say rather than my words. What we decided to do as pastors, we just said, hey, we need to pray. And rather than even scripting our own prayer, we wanted to lean on the prayers that are being prayed uh, throughout churches around our nation today. And so all of our Lake Forest family of churches are praying this prayer. This comes from the... Uh, Reformed Church's Book of Common Prayer, and it's a prayer that is written for, well, just tragedies uh, and situations just like this. And I'm going to ask you, if you're comfortable, to pray with me. You don't have to, but we're going to pray this out loud in unison and and in unity with our sister churches at Lake Forest and other churches uh, around the country. So would you pray this with me, praying, Lord, in our shock and confusion, we come before you. In our grief and despair in the midst of hate. In our sense of helplessness in the face of violence, we lean on you. For the families of those who have been killed, we pray. For the shooters, help us to pray, Lord. For the communities that have lost members, their anger, grief, fear, we pray. For the churches striving to be your light in darkness beyond our comprehension, we pray. In the face of hatred 
May we claim love, Lord. May we love those far off and those near. May we love those who are strangers and those who are friends. May we love those who we agree with and understand, and even more so, Lord, those who we consider to be our enemies. Lord, have mercy. Heal our sin-sick souls. Make these wounds whole, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, much, much more to be prayed. Much more to be prayed. Lord, hear our prayer. Well, it will feel like a bit of a gear shift, and I apologize for the sudden shift of gears here. But uh, I mentioned my daughter uh, turning 18 this week, and uh, boy, you know, uh, what a marker. That's my first to actually reach adulthood, uh, and so I've got three more, so one down, three, three to go. Is that how it works? Um, but I was remembering uh, one of my favorite Zoe stories, and I asked her permission to share this uh, I remember one of my favorite Zoe stories was when she was just a teeny tiny little girl and we went to Disneyland. How many of y'all have done the Disneyland thing, right? I mean, and it's, you do it, don't you? I mean, it's like a thing. We did the Disneyland thing. Of course, we did the California version because we were living in Los Angeles at the time. And here's what I remember about Disneyland. You're right, here's the one thing I remember. It is freaking expensive there, all right? Like... <laughs> Everything. I mean, it costs a billion dollars to get in the front door, and then like you get a soda and you're shoveling out hundreds. I mean, it's like nuts, right? It's incredible. And so the whole day, I'm just like, oh, you know, because I'm a young dad. We're living on a shoestring budget. I can't believe we're doing the Disneyland thing. This is crazy. And you know, every every moment, you're just like, kid, you better be having a good time because this, you know, this is costing. It's like. So then you can imagine how we felt. We got, at the end of the day, we, we're, kind of, we're all tired, and we go into um, Cinderella's castle, right? This is before it became Frozen Castle. It's, it was still Cinderella Castle. We go in, and um, we go into the gift shop, and my daughter makes her way over to the rack of princess dresses and grabs this Cinderella dress and holds it up and goes, look, Daddy, I'm a princess. And at that moment, my wife gave me that look, you know the look like, you better buy this dress or it's like over, you know, it's like, all right, honey, let's get you the princess dress. I only need one kidney. I can sell it. You know? So we get, the, we, we get the dress and, you know, of course I'm like, uh, like Amazon doesn't even exist. And I'm thinking I could get this cheaper on Amazon. You know, this is like really, so we pay top dollar, got the dress, she puts it on and then we're, we're all exhausted. We make our way out to the main street and, and the main street at the Los Angeles Disneyland is where the main street electrical parade goes to end the day every day. So we take our space along the sidewalk, and I'm just waiting for the whole thing to be over, beat the traffic to the, you know, everything I can do. And then all of a sudden, the princess float comes trucking down the road. It's got all the princesses on it, and right at the top is Cinderella, right? And I'm thinking, great, you know, so here it comes. And then, true story, true story, Cinderella looks at Zoe, looks her in the eyes, and goes, I like your dress, princess. I would have paid a billion dollars for that moment, right? It's just, I would, I would have done anything, you know. Um, it got me thinking, uh, you know, it's kind of funny uh, thinking about kids. You know, Jesus had a kingdom for children long before Walt Disney did. Did you know that? Jesus had a kingdom for children long before Walt Disney did. And that's what I want to look at with you today. We're in a series called Follow Me, Follow Me. What's it about? It's all about what it looks like to follow Jesus as a student or as a disciple, that's what the word disciple means, student, 
and uh, what it looks like to follow Jesus. What kind of life is involved in doing that? A lot of folks think Christianity is simply about what happens to you when you die. But what we've learned is, is that it, Jesus and the scriptures talk an awful lot about what life looks like now, this side of heaven. And that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, isn't just about a life we experience when we die. It's also a quality, a kind of life we can know now as we follow Jesus. And maybe you've never considered what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I hope you'll continue to be a part of the series. That's really what we're exploring uh, every week. Well, Matthew's gospel talks a lot about this. And right in the middle of Matthew's gospel, Matthew is one of the guys who wrote a historical account of the life of Jesus. Right in the middle of Matthew's gospel, he gives us this story from Jesus, this scene that comes from Matthew chapter 18. Let me read this to you. This is verses 1 through 5. And uh, you can follow along in your Bible or on your phone if you like. We'll have the verses on the screen. If you don't own a Bible, please take one of ours as a gift uh, to you today. Let me read this. Matthew 18, 1 through 5. At that time, the disciples, the students of Jesus, came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Interesting. So here's the big question we want to ask today. And we're going to go a little bit short because the kids are going to join us in a minute. We're going to do some baptism. But here's the question I want to ask today. What does Jesus think we need to learn from children about following him? What does Jesus think we need to learn from children about following him? That's what we're going to consider. Now, Jesus, one of the things you need to know about Jesus, and, and the folks in Jesus' day knew this about him, Jesus was a master teacher. Jesus taught in a way that people could remember uh, just for years and years the lessons that he taught. And he often had a particular pattern to his teaching. And it, it went like this. Uh, there would be a, an event, something that would happen. A, we might call it a teachable moment. Then Jesus would give a lesson or an illustration in response to that event. And then he would give an imperative or an invitation, something the disciples were to do in response to that lesson. Right? So an event, a lesson, and a response. And interestingly enough, we see this over and over in uh, Matthew's gospel. And this is actually the same kind of pattern that God often uses in our lives. Sometimes you might experience an event in your life, and maybe God caused it or maybe he didn't, but he can use it either way. And you'll have a sense that God is, is teaching you or showing you something through that event, and that he's actually inviting you towards a kind of response. This is how God teaches us as his followers and disciples. And this is exactly what is happening in this Matthew passage. So look with me at the first verse. This is the event. This is the thing that's going to precipitate everything else, right? Verse 1, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Jesus, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, this is kind of funny, or it's at least meant to be funny. Because remember, these disciples of Jesus... They were on no one's first round draft pick list when this whole thing got started, right? I mean, these guys are a bunch of bozos, but now they've been following Jesus for a couple chapters, and now they're starting to get all high and mighty. They, they actually think they're somehow becoming important here, and they start arguing and bickering over who is most important. 
Who gets to sit next to Jesus at the lunch table? Who gets to be in his cabinet or on his board of directors? And one of the things they were constantly arguing with was who was actually in charge? Who was the most important? Who was the greatest? So it's kind of interesting, you know, actually one time, a couple, uh, there are two disciples who are brothers. One of their moms even got involved in this. I mean, this was so common, this bigger one of the moms shows up and she like starts kind of bartering to try and get them some special seats of honor, right? I mean, this is like first century Jewish helicopter parenting on steroids is what that is, right? And it's kind of fun to laugh at and think about, but you know, the truth is we kind of do the same thing, don't we? We live in a culture that values greatness. We all desire to be more than the person next to us. And Jesus' followers in his day did the same thing. Jesus' followers were living in a kind of latter culture. Jesus, what's the ladder we've got to climb if we're going to be at the top in your kingdom? Jesus, what's the ladder we've got to climb if we're going to win at this whole spiritual game? Jesus, what's the ladder I've got to climb if I'm going to have everybody else look at me and say, oh, I wish I was him? See, we live in a culture of ladders. We're constantly clamoring, constantly climbing to get ahead of someone else. We, we climb career ladders, financial ladders, social ladders, success ladders popularity ladders, sports ladders, and part of what drives us in this, and it's hard to admit this, but part of what drives us in this is that we think that if we can be better than someone else, then we will feel better about ourselves, right? If I can climb the ladder, whatever ladder I'm climbing, such that there is someone else that I can look down at, then as fleeting as that is, as passing as it is, as hollow and shallow as it is, for that moment, I feel better than them. And I feel better about myself. But it never lasts. Now, I don't know how this next scene went down. Uh, but apparently, the guys were in a public setting. And, and the disciples have kind of huddled around Jesus. And like they're all like, hey, you ask him. No, no, you ask him. No, I'm not asking him. I asked him last time. You ask him. And so they do a rock, paper, scissors. Somebody loses, and that guy has to ask Jesus. And they're all right there, right? Get a feel for this. But look at how Jesus responds. I just love this. Next verse, verse 2. He, that's Jesus, called a little child to him and placed the child among them. Jesus doesn't even bother responding with words. He's going to give them a visual aid, an illustration to make a point. Now, to understand this point that Jesus is making here, we actually have to kind of take off how we typically think about children and put on how the ancients would have thought about children in Jesus' day. Our view of children today has been so deeply affected and impacted by Jesus and his movement that we can't fully appreciate how the first century saw, Jesus, uh, excuse me, saw children and thought of children. In the ancient world, there was what one writer calls a dignity gap. At the top of the hierarchy, at the top of the ladder, were the gods. And just below them, the kings who claimed divine rule or divine favor. Below the kings were his court. And then the priests. I don't know how the priests got in their mid-range, but somehow they did. And then the artisans. And then the merchants. And then finally the peasants and the slaves. And the vast majority of humanity enjoyed life at the lowest rung of the ladder. Just the dregs of society. The gods and kings were treated with dignity. Those at the bottom had none. And guess where children enjoyed their place in that society? 
They're at the very bottom. In fact, the word most commonly used in Greek for children is the word doulos, can also be translated as slaves. Children were nobodies in the ancient world. So you can imagine, just imagine how shocking this must have been. The disciples are all huddled around. They say, Jesus, who's the greatest? And Jesus doesn't even address them. He won't even acknowledge their question with his words. He just looks outside and he summons a child, a nobody. And he brings that child and says, come on over, come here. And he places the child, deep meaning of that word in Greek, literally means to give the seat of honor, to put in a place. He places that child in a seat of honor in the midst of, of the disciples. You get in the pregnancy of this picture? This is incredible, right? And just in case they miss what is actually happening here, Jesus interprets it for them in the very next verse. He says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never. Now this is a double no right here. This is like ume. It means never, never, or no, never, or as Taylor Swift says, never, ever, ever, right? That's just, it's not happening. You will never, ever enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Jesus says, these children, these nobodies, they are the litmus test for whether you will enter or not. Because in my kingdom, in my kingdom, Jesus says, nobody is a nobody because everybody is a somebody. It's interesting when you look at the teachings of Jesus on this. I mean, it's over and over again throughout scriptures. Jesus taught that every human being has dignity. Every human being. Every human being is a child of God, created in the image of God, and is worthy of respect. And look, the ancients did not teach this. This was not a part of any culture in the ancient world. Ordinarily, children didn't share in the image of God. And this is reflected in how they were treated. Babies, many babies, didn't even grow up at all. Uh, They were left to die uh, if the parents didn't want them. And this was a common practice in the ancient world across cultures. It was called exposure. Uh, Many babies were simply left to die because they were the wrong gender, or because they were disabled, or because they were born out of wedlock, or simply because no one wanted them. In fact, the great uh, Greek author Plutarch uh, describes this really well in this phrase he said about a child. He said, a child wasn't even a uh, creature until it was at least a week old. It was more like a plant than a human being. So low was the view of children in the ancient world. So disposable were they. And then one day, one day, this teacher, this rabbi from Nazareth comes And he starts to speak about children in a way the world had never seen before, never heard before. And it changed everything. He said things about children no one had heard. Things like, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So, What does Jesus think we are to become like? We're to become like children. What does Jesus think we are to become like if we're going to become like children? What does he think we're to become like? Well, you know, you might be tempted to think, well, uh, maybe he means we're to become innocent, right? Aren't children kind of innocent, good little? And I'm like, look, have you ever had a two-year-old, right? A two-year-old is a little 20 you know, a little 20-pound blob of sweetness and cuteness and made in the image of Godness. It's also a little 20-pound sin factory, right? I mean, like the, those two things just go, you know two-year-olds, right? 
No, it's not the innocence he's asking us to imitate. Maybe it's their naivete. Maybe it's that they're kind of, you know, they, they just take everything without evaluation. That could not be further from the truth. You ever sat with a five-year-old? Why? 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 Right? In fact, in a few chapters later, Jesus is going to praise the spiritual insight of children. In Jesus' eyes, children are not naive and they are not innocent. But Jesus does think there is something about these children in this culture that he wants us to emulate. And we see exactly what it is in the next sentence. Look with me at the next verse. Therefore, here it is. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus says we are to become like children, he has one thing and one thing alone in mind, and it is this. It is that we would be marked by humility. This, uh, this Greek word here is another really interesting word. Sorry to be throwing so many Greek words at you. I just think there's some really fun stuff in this passage. The Greek word for humility here is the word tapenao. There we go. There's my Greek for the day. Uh, which literally means, get this, I just love this. It literally means to make low, to bring low. Therefore, to humble yourself like a child is to lower yourself and say, you know what? I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to make myself low. Get a picture of that? Make myself low. In essence, Jesus is saying, look, if you want to be my disciple, if you really want to experience life in my kingdom, it begins with humility. It begins with seeing people as dignified. It begins as treating others who are different from you, whether higher or lower, as the same. Because in my kingdom, nobody is a nobody. Everybody is a somebody. And if you want to follow me, if you want to become humble like a child, you will, my friend, have to learn how to collapse your ladders. You must become like a child, you must humble yourself. And I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I don't, I don't know if you've ever taken Jesus up on this, but here's what I believe you'll discover. You will discover that that worth and that security and that identity that you were clamoring for in climbing the ladders, that the, all of those questions all of those needs are met in a deep and satisfying way when you come face to face with the fact that Jesus loves you and welcomes you as you are. And there is a freedom, there's a freedom in that like no other freedom in this world. Because let's be honest, let's be honest. Group confession, you don't have to raise your hands. All that clamoring that we do, all that, well, I make more than he does, well, I'm high, well, I'm, all that clamoring, all that positioning, all that striving and climbing, has that actually ever brought any satisfaction in your life? No. Has it ever given you a deep sense of worth and joy? No. H has feeling better than others ever given you a lasting sense of value? No. It comes only, only from the grace of Jesus. Now here's what I... Well, I mentioned that Disneyland story when we started the day today, and the kids are about to join us. Uh, here's, here's why I started. Here's, here's what I believe about you and me today. I think in one way or another, every last one of us in this room is like that child at Disneyland. We're standing on the sidewalk, and, and we're in our pretty Cinderella dress. Right? Can you picture me in a Cinderella? Don't do that. I'm just kidding, right? But we're all standing there. 
And whether we can admit this to ourselves or not, I mean, this is really hard, guys, to look in the mirror. You know what we're all really longing? We're all really longing deep in our soul that somebody will look us in the eyes and see us and say, I see you. You matter. You're significant. You're valuable in my kingdom. And high princess, I like your princess dress, right? Isn't that what we're really longing for? I know that's what I'm longing for. So what if today, what if today as we continue this journey in this Follow Me series, what if today you just considered this? What if Jesus were to look you in the eyes today and say, my son, my daughter, my prince, my princess, I see you, you're mine. What difference might that experience of his grace make in your life? For truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, my friends, you will never, never, ever, never, ever, ever, ever enter the kingdom of heaven. Can we pray? Jesus, that's my prayer this morning, and I want to make it on behalf of my friends here in this room, and me too, me too, God. For all those times that I strive and clamor up that ladder, oh, Lord, would you forgive me? Would you help me to humble myself? And Jesus, today, could we experience you looking in our eyes, saying, I see you, my son, my daughter, I love you, you are mine. Jesus, would you help us to trust in your grace? Jesus, would you help us to rest in your grace? That's our prayer this morning, and we make it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, kids, come on down. Come on in. Come on in. Come on up close. While the kids are coming, turn to your neighbor and look in their eyes and tell them, Princess, I like your princess dress. Go. glad you guys are with us this morning. I'm uh, really excited. Uh, these are some of the kids from our Kidtropolis program this morning. These are our elementary students, and uh, they are here because we are going to celebrate confirmation and baptisms. I'm going to tell you about both of those in a minute for our rising sixth graders. These are our fifth graders who are graduating this year, and they had the opportunity, and you guys will as well when you're fifth graders, to take something called the foundations course. And Foundations is a a four-week journey that we go on together where we learn about God's bigger story. But to tell you a little bit more about that, I want you to meet one of our heroes that you guys already know, so you guys have to give him a loud thunderous applause. The church gets to know him this morning, uh, one of our teachers from Foundations. Would you welcome Jason Spangler up? Awesome. We got, are we on? There we are. Good. Awesome. Uh, well, Jason, I, I, I told you this in the first service, but uh, uh, actually, does anybody here have an elementary child in our program, a fourth or fifth grader, third grader? Anybody raise their hands? All right, all together. Now, hold the hands up. Ready? Here's what we're going to do. We're not worthy. We're not worthy, right? Right? Because uh, Jason and others have been serving so faithfully uh, in our Kid Travels ministry 
And uh, Jason, I just, I hear story after story all the time of the difference that the parents are making in these kids' lives, particularly the dads. We have some just amazing dads like Jason who are serving in there. And uh, I'm just thankful for the difference y'all have made in, in my family's life. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, but Jason and a few others led our foundations class this year. Jason, tell us a little bit more about that class. Yeah. So um, the foundations class was a four-week journey into God's story and how we fit into that story. So if you'll allow me just to summarize real quick, condense four weeks into a few minutes, is that we start at the very beginning. Um, we have a sovereign creator of the universe that we can see his existence through his creation, right? And we talked about his favorite part of his creation, which is us, how he introduced man and woman, Adam and Eve, to the world. And that's kind of where the story kind of takes a little turn. We have Adam and Eve, through a single act of disobedience, introduces sin to the world. And that creates a brokenness, right? Mm -hmm. And now God has a problem. We have a father, sovereign creator of the universe, that desperately wants to be reunited with his family, right? But he can't because we're broken, and it's our sinful nature that causes that separation. So luckily, that's not where the story ends, right? So God, as Aaron said earlier, he humbled himself. He had a plan to enter the world through his son, Jesus Christ, in order to make a great trade. And so we told the kids about this trade, that if we recognize our brokenness and our sinful nature, and that we ask for forgiveness through Jesus, that he makes an exchange. And that exchange is that we, he takes all of our badness, all of our brokenness, in exchange for all of his goodness through his redemptive work on the cross. And that once we accept that, we are part of God's family forever. And that is an awesome thing to celebrate. Mm -hmm. And God's going to continue writing his story today through the lives of Ellis and Zach and Avery, reminding us of how much he loves us. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be showing gratitude and thankfulness in the form of being confirmed and baptized today, showing gratefulness to the Father that they're home, that they are part of his family. And I'm glad that we can celebrate that with you guys today. So, Awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, you guys have an uh, opportunity to be part of that class. Uh, adults, doesn't that sound awesome? I, I was trying to take, talk Jason into offering an adult version of that foundations yeah. class because I'd like yeah. to. That sounds really cool. Uh, but here's what we're going to do. First of all, we're going to do a confirmation. Let me tell you what that is. So, some of you uh, were baptized or your children were baptized as babies. And uh, that baptism, we do not believe, is based on the faith of the baby. The baby does not yet know, know how to have faith in God. So it is on the faith of the parents. And so we baptize that baby when there is a, a believing or trusting in Jesus parent in that couple. And then we look forward to the day when the child will grow to be able to make that decision for themselves. And we can confirm that baptism, hence confirmation, right? So those of you who grew up in kind of confirmation church cultures, that's how that works. So we're going to do one confirmation. Then we're also going to do baptism for two of our foundation's graduates who were not baptized as babies but have also come to a saving faith in Jesus, a point where they wanted to make that faith their own and not just mom and dad. So uh, to get us going, let's invite up first uh, Ellis Eatman. Ellis, come on up. Y'all want to welcome Ellis. He's going to be really brave here. Ellis uh, is going to share his God story with us this morning, which I am just so excited about. This is a part of what the 
graduates get to do through the foundations class. So Alice, we're so excited to hear your story this morning. So my name is Alice Eaton, and this is my God story from foundations. I was sitting on the couch, and I promised that I love God with all my heart. I asked him to come into my heart. After that, he has been in my heart, and it will always be in it. I am grateful that I have God, so I can pray to him and go to heaven and have eternal life. Awesome, awesome, Ellis. Stay here, don't go anywhere, don't go anywhere. Uh, and I just want to say a word to mom and dad uh, and sister, because sister's been a part of this too, right? Uh, what's so cool about this, because it was at Huntersville, wasn't it? Was it Huntersville or was it? No, it wasn't. Yeah, baptized at Huntersville, our Lake Forest Huntersville. How many, how, you're 22 now, is that right? Okay, so, so 22 years ago, Ellis was baptized at Huntersville. And, and, and you all made a promise that day to God. Said, so we're going we're gonna to do our best. We're not going to do it perfectly, but we're going to do our best to model what following Jesus looks like. And, and what's really cool is Ellis has seen that in you in such a way that when he was given the opportunity to say, I want to make that faith my own, he said, yeah, yeah. I've seen my mom and my dad and my sister walk that out, and I want to make that my faith, too. So um, I just want to say, well, job well done, mom, dad, sister, okay? So, Ellis, when we go outside, I'm going to take a little bit of oil, and I'm going to make the sign of the cross on you. I'm going to anoint you. I'm going to pray for God's blessing as we confirm that decision. Is that cool? So stay here. Step next to Jason, and then we got to welcome up two more. So Avery and Zach, why don't you all come on up and join us? Yay! Yay! All right. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to make y'all share your God story because that would have been, you had no idea. Do you want to share your God story? No, I'm just kidding. We won't do that. But in a minute, whoa, in a minute, we're going to go outside and we're going to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, Jason promised me that he added some extra ice cubes to the water to make sure it was cool enough for you, okay? But we're going to uh, baptize you by symbolically lowering you beneath the surface of the water and bringing you back up, which represents not just the washing of your sins, but also the dying and being raised to life that God promises us as his children. So we're going to do that in a minute. But before we do that, Jason has some questions for all three of you. One question, and this is the baptism confirmation question. You guys are going to respond if you're ready to say, we do. So I'm going to say, do you? Let's try that again. Do you? Perfect. Then, church, you're going to have a question because you're making a promise to these guys today, too. And you're going to say the same thing if you're ready to make this promise. I'm going to say, do you? We do. Good. Strong, Jeremiah. I love it. All right. So, Jason, give us our baptism okay. confirmation question. Do you profess Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord? And do you desire to live as a new creation, showing the Holy Spirit's fruit, being marked by love and generosity towards others? and living a life that points to God, do you? We do. Congregation, do you, the ministry partners of Lake Forest, take responsibility for the continued Christian growth of these students, promising to set a godly example by your own life and to pray for their life of faith? Do you? We do. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> 